the chorus my son Eric just sang goes this way. I think even the words may be on the screen. Just repeat them again for you. Where there is faith, there is a voice calling. Keep walking. You're not alone in this world. Where there is faith, there is a peace like a child sleeping, hope everlasting, and he who is able to bear every burden, to heal every hurt in my heart. It's a wonderful, powerful place where there is faith. The text that I picked out for this, the last Sunday of 2010, Mark read most of it to you before. I want to read a part of it again. I want to read just a couple of verses, but I want to read it this time from the message translation. Isaiah 63, verses 7 to 9. I'll make a list of God's gracious dealings, all the things God has done that need praising. All the generous bounties of God, his great goodness to the family of Israel, compassion lavished, love extravagant. He said, without question, these are my people, children who would never betray me. So he became their savior. In all their troubles, he was troubled too. He didn't send someone else to help them. He did it himself in person. Out of his own love and pity, he redeemed them. He rescued them and carried them along. For a long, long time. Now, friends, if these words are true, and they most certainly are, what a God we have. And to be honest, it is a God that deserves every last ounce of our faith and trust. But I'm going to confess to you that I have been wondering lately just how much faith and trust does he deserve? In fact, I've wondered off and on in the last number of weeks, how much faith and trust does he desire? Now, if I were to ask you that question this morning, how much faith and trust does God want or desire? I know that our knee-jerk sitting in the pew the Sunday after Christmas pious pastor-pleasing reply would probably be, well, he wants all of it, doesn't he? Well, if that's your answer, you would be correct. But can I take it just a little step further? Would you be willing to put your money where your mouth is? Would you be willing to put your time where your mouth is? Would you be willing to put your effort where your mouth is? The reason I raise this is because about two months ago, I read a book that questioned all of this and more for myself. Uh, I would tell you that on the one hand, by the power of the Spirit, I have tried as best as I can during most of my life to follow my life verse. Many of you have heard it before, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He'll make straight your paths. But after reading this book, I began to wonder a little bit about how much I was really trusting and how much I was really leaning and how much I was really acknowledging. Now, this book is written by a guy named David Platt, and the name of the book is called Radical, subtitled Taking Back Your Faith from the American Dream. Now, I think most of us would tell you that the American Dream has worked out pretty well for Most of us, even in the midst of a recession here in our country, it's one of the 
reasons, though, why we here in the West have gotten our Western ideals all kind of mixed up with our Christian ideals, and we have come up with a form of religion that really isn't very close sometimes to what the Bible has to say. Let me give you some examples. We have been taught and we believe that if you build it, they will come. There are some people who say, you know, why do we need to tell anybody about First Lutheran? For heaven's sakes, they drive by it all the time. You know, build it, build it a little bit bigger, and they'll come. We have been taught that bigger is always better. That little churches don't amount to much. It's got to be a, a big whopping church. We've been taught that hard work and a good education will get you the, the prize in life, which is the corner office. That's what we've been taught. We've been taught that we should accumulate, accumulate, accumulate. I mean, he who dies with the most prizes wins. We've been taught be served and be entertained. We've been taught that the individual is at the center of his universe. That in the end, it really only matters about me. We've actually been taught that religion is by formula. There's a fancy little formula for religion. It's called confess, pray Jesus into your heart, feel good, and go your own way. We have been taught to give our leftovers to the poor and feel good about it. But friends, Jesus, the road that he calls us to walk is really pretty nuts when you think about it. Let me describe the road Jesus asked us to walk. He said, give your riches back to God. He said, share the story of Jesus as if it were really the only way to God. He says, love your enemies. And he says, and be willing to lose your life by serving other people. And I've got to tell you, that's pretty radical stuff. Now, the last section of this book, he has what he calls a radical experiment. And it was at this point that I just kind of got knocked sideways. And here, Dr. Platt calls the American church to really risk something. In fact, I was kind of taking some sense of solace that he was calling the church to make these changes and not me. But friends, we never call the church to make any changes without calling the individuals who make up that church to make those changes too. He says, we really need to learn how to exercise our faith and our trust. And his challenge was, and his challenge is, is to live a full year and live it radically for Jesus. Now, what is this radical experiment? Well, there are just five things should be up on the screen. Here they are. Pray for the entire world. Now, that's just not once. That's praying for the entire world, maybe a country at a time, every day for an entire year. And I'll confess to you that sometimes the only country in the world I ever think about is this one. Well, on my back burner, of course, is India because I'm connected to Christ for India. And occasionally I'll, I'll think about the people in Haiti and I might toss a little prayer aside, but the challenge is, is to pray for this entire world because Jesus came into this world to die for who? The whole world. 
and then to read through the entire word. Now, I've been doing this for a number of years, and, and I know some of you have, that you started maybe at the beginning of the year, and I don't always say the best way is to start in Genesis and read it all the way to Revelation because some of you will die in Leviticus. But there are other ways. And in fact, in January, I'm going to give you some better ways of doing it. But to say, I'm going to read the entire Bible this year. Wouldn't that be really cool? I mean, how many of you put together Christmas presents without the instructions? I heard of a guy who put together a bicycle for his kid when he was left done. He had so many parts left over, he thought maybe they'd pack two bikes. Of course, when his kid tried to stop his bike on the top of a hill, he realized one part he'd left out. And then to commit your life to multiplying community, to be a part of a group of people who also have the same values you are, the same commitments that they're reading through the word, that they're praying for this world. And the fourth thing is to sacrifice your money for a specific purpose. Not talking about giving your money for a specific purpose, but to actually sacrifice, to go beyond, to say, is there some specific purpose? Is there something out there that I could really put myself into and give sacrificially to it? And this last one is a little more difficult. It's to spend your time in another context. Many people in churches today believe that the best place to serve is in their church. Okay, granted, it is a good place to serve in your church. But there are other contexts outside your church where you could take the gospel of Christ. I don't know what that context would be. I've been praying for the last month about whether or not I should answer a call to spend a week in Haiti teaching some pastors. In the back of my mind, I've always said, well, Haiti isn't a very safe place. It's a place that's relatively unhealthy. I've been trying to tell myself that maybe I don't have the strength and energy to do that for a week to teach these pastors the Bible. And besides, you know, what if something happened while I was there? But then I started reading my Bible again, and actually this book points out that when God calls you to serve, he never promises that you'll be safe. And then I got to thinking something I've said any number of times. I'd rather die on the mission field than get run over by a car in a Walmart parking lot. And I guess that's really true. Now, by our best estimate, each of us that gather here today, we have an average of about 70 to 80 years on this earth. And during these years, we are constantly being bombarded with the temporary. Make money. Get stuff. Be comfortable. Live well. Have fun. And in the middle of it all, sometimes we just get blinded to the eternal. And yet the eternal is sitting right out there, friends. You and I kind of stand here on the porch looking at eternity. I mean, all of us sooner or later, are going to stand before God to give an account of our stewardship of the time, the resources, the gifts, and ultimately we're going to be held accountable for the gospel he has entrusted to us. And you know when that day comes, I, I am thoroughly convinced that we will not wish that we had given more of our time and effort and energy to living the American dream. I don't think any of us are going to wish that we had made more money in our life. I don't think we'll all say, I wish I had more stuff. I wish I had more stuff to put on a shelf or hang on a wall. I don't think we're going to say at the end of time, I wish I'd lived more comfortably or that I'd taken more vacations or I'd watched more television or I pursued a greater retirement plan or I wish I'd been more successful in the 
world's eyes. Instead, I want to suggest to you that at the end of time, we will wish that we'd given more of ourselves to living for the day when every nation, when every tribe, when every people, when every language will bow before the throne of God and sing the praises of the Savior who delights in radical obedience and the God who deserves eternal worship. Now, the question that might be flitting around in your mind is, why? Why would we want to do this? In fact, maybe some of you say, okay, pastor, go for it. God bless you. (laughs) But you're not talking to me, are you? Uh, Sadly, I am. I shouldn't say sadly. Honestly, I am. I am talking to you. Why would we want to do this? Why would we want to have not only a year of living radically, but have a life like that? Well, I, I hate to answer one question with another question, but I'm going to ask you another question. The question is this. What happens to people who have never heard about Jesus? What happens to people who never hear about Jesus. Well, in Romans chapter 10, verses 11 to 14, this is what it says. Anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Now, from the Bible, there are seven things. I would call them seven affirmations that I am absolutely, positively sure of. One is that all people know God the Father. That's just the way people are created. They know there's a God out there. But I also know, number two, that all people reject the true knowledge of God. I also know that there are no innocent people in this world. I also know that all people are condemned for rejecting God. I also know that God has made a plan of salvation for the lost people. I also know that people cannot come to faith in God apart from faith in Jesus. And the seventh thing I know is that God commands his church, he commands his people to make the gospel known in all nations. Actually, if you want to do this quite literally in the Hebrew, when it says, you know, go to all nations, the word there is tek ethnoi, which means to all ethnic groups, because some nations have a multiplicity of ethnic groups. See, the plan of God to counter that sad news is fairly simple. It goes this way, Jesus sends followers. Now, who are his followers? I'm looking at them. You're looking at what? Jesus sent followers. What do followers do? Followers preach. What happens when followers preach? People hear. What happens when people hear? Well, hearers believe. And what happens when hearers believe? Well, believers then call on the name of the Lord. And what happens when believers call in the name of the Lord, those who call are saved. The goal then is not to answer the question, what happens to people who haven't heard about Jesus? The goal is to get rid of that question completely, to alleviate the question altogether. The real question is, 
how are you? You. Not the church, not your pastor, but how are you going to impact the unreached people of this world with the gospel? Friends, let's not waver any longer. Now, starting next Sunday, January 2nd, our new series is called Radicalis. Now, you might wonder, what, what is that, radicalis? Well, it's a Latin word, and it has to do with growing your spiritual roots deep. And I encourage you to be here. It's going to be a 10-week series. And I'd encourage you to bring somebody along. I'd also encourage you to watch for a time when we're going to have an eight-week study on living the radical life. And I would encourage you to prayerfully consider joining me in taking the radical challenge in 2011. Pray for the entire world. Read through the entire word. Commit your life to multiplying community. Sacrifice your money for a specific purpose and spend your time in another context. May God grant that and may God bless that for Jesus' sake. To the glory of his name, amen.